Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made in ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler that has ever asked such things of, has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed is the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have and now have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, 
The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. After you, O king, your thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart, you, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will not mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known the king, to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain. And his interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. And the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province, province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. God had his blessing to that reading of his word. Well, we come now to Daniel chapter 2 mentioned last time that the grand theme of this whole book has to do with the sovereignty of God. 
Now, the aspect of this grand theme, which is on display so magnificently here in chapter 2, is that God is a revealer of things otherwise impossible to know. He is the revealer of secrets. Now, it did not take any great wisdom or, or cleverness to figure that out, because those words, reveal and secret, occur together as a pair seven times in this chapter. Verse 19, the secret was revealed to Daniel. Verse 22, he reveals deep and secret things. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. 29, but he reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Verse 30, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me. Verse 47, twice. Truly, your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Again, there are some parts of Scripture that you wonder, what is the message of this passage? But there's no wondering here. It could not be any clearer. The message of this chapter is that God is the revealer of secrets to men. Now, the context by which this message comes to you, you also know this, you're familiar with it, we've just read it, that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar this dream. And this dream made a great and terrible impression upon him. It was very clear to him that this was an important dream, that it uh, was a portent of the future in some way. Yet it seemed that he could not remember it, as so often happens, or that at least not the main details of it. And, and he only had a vague impression of these things. Maybe it had slipped his mind in various ways. So perhaps because he'd forgotten, maybe he hadn't. Or perhaps just to ensure that they really knew what they were talking about. And that much he explicitly says. He demands to know from all these soothsayers, from these Chaldeans. He demands to know the dream itself and its interpretation. Now, none of these advisors, these professionals in this very sort of thing, this is what they're supposed to do. This is why they're employed by the king. None of them are able to do it. Daniel's able to. Because God, the revealer of secrets, revealed it to him. And Nebuchadnezzar is rightly impressed by this thing. You, you read the, the words with me in verse 46. And King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. That's right. He is a God of gods. And his sovereignty, among other things, is demonstrated precisely in his knowledge and his ability to reveal what would otherwise be utterly unknown, unknowable, utterly secret. Now, I would say this. If this knowledge about God could bring this proud pagan king who'd bow to no one, who could act in such a, a, uh, a proud way to these men before him, if he could be bowing down before the ground to, to Daniel because he has come to understand these things about God, then how much more should we? Should we not desire to consider the greatness of our God in his revelation to us? Should we not consider afresh that great office, that great role that Christ has as our prophet as well as our priest and our king? Surely we should. And surely we should be confirmed in God's ability to speak the truth to us, as no one else, no other source could possibly do in this earth. So the title of this sermon is The Revealer of Secrets. The Revealer of Secrets, and with these four points. First, an impossible secret. 
Second, Daniel prays. Third, God reveals. And fourth, the king worships. An impossible secret. Daniel prays. God reveals. The king worships. So first, an impossible secret. Verse 3, And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we'll give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and this interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses made in ash heap. Well, we see immediately the state of mind that the king is in. He is in no mood to, to discuss. He is not being reasonable. Perhaps there have been some other occasions where these men, these Chaldeans, whatever they are, these magicians and so forth, uh, had spoken things that didn't come true, had given interpretations of dreams that actually weren't all that great, didn't actually pan out. And now this frustration that had been building is coming to a boil And, of course, they were just glorified astrologers. They didn't know these things. They just did the best they could. No different than some some, uh, psychiatrist that you might go to today and you explain your dream and they try to give you some union interpretation of these things. And so maybe he's frustrated with it and he's not going to give them any slack whatsoever on this occasion. That might explain what he says in verse 8. I know for certain that you would gain the time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one degree for you. And here's the rationale that he gives. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. So he suspects that they are deceivers and probably he's right. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Well, again, so perhaps a combination of his frustration with these, um, these false advisors that he has and these, these things in the past catching up with him, but uh, no doubt also then the unreasonable demands of this absolute dictator who is, uh, as he's become used to the absolute power he has, he's not reason, reasonable with anyone, and therefore this crisis happens. And this secret then rapidly becomes an urgent matter as it's referred to in verse 15. And Daniel has to ask, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Why is it so immediate? And it is a a matter of life and death. You shall be cut in pieces and your house to be made an ash heap. And in verse 12, for this reason, the king was very angry and furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And of course, we know Daniel and his friends were part of that number. That was the group that they were in, the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So this secret is a very urgent matter. It is a matter of life and death that somebody, that if, if only this secret could be known, they would be saved. But because they don't know it, then they're all going to be immediately slain and their houses made an ash heap. The problem is that this secret is yet impossible. Again, in verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing, an impossible thing that a king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, all that is very true. It is an impossible thing. These sort of things are not given into the hands 
And in some sense, you have to at least admire the, the semi-integrity of these men to say it straight rather than try to come up with lies. But of course, they've been backed into a corner. It's not just the interpretation of a dream that you can make up like some astrology page in the newspaper and find a way that somehow maybe it'll fit. He's got to tell them a dream of which the details could not be guessed at. But we know that it was a most dramatic and intricate sort of dream. Well, the point of all of this is to build up in the mind of the king just how distinctive a thing it would be, just how amazing it would be if someone were actually able to do this. Because from the lips of his own advisors, the word comes back to him, it is impossible. No one has ever asked such a thing. We can't do it. There is no man on earth who could do it. Only the gods could do that. And they don't actually interact with mankind. Well, that then sets the scene this impossible secret sets the scene then. Now, secondly, first was the impossible secret. Secondly, Daniel prays. So verse 13, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. Remember how God is the one who gives Wisdom. He gave Daniel great wisdom. So even in this particular matter of interacting with the captain, he could have answered in a way which would have ended his life. But he answered in a way of wisdom, and he received the stay that he needed. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king his interpretation. Well, so this is what he is asking for. Um, it's a reminder of Daniel's faith as well as his wisdom that he has some hope here. He does not immediately think to himself that this is a hopeless matter. But rather he says, if we have a little bit of time, if we secure that, we can take this matter before God. And it's not just him. Because the thing that he does next, as soon as he secures just a little bit of time in order that there might be prayer, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Because praying alone is good, it is necessary, and sometimes we forget to do even that. But it is even much better to be praying with other godly people. It is necessary, and especially in situations like these, it's imperative that God's people come together in prayer. God has affirmed us in this. God has said that he is particularly with us in corporate prayer. And he was, Daniel shows his wisdom in doing precisely this. And keep in mind just how young he is at this point. We don't really know exactly how young, but uh, certainly a man, either a teenager or in his, his 20s. So he's very wise in bringing these other people to pray. And the manner of his prayer is this, verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, a couple of things to be kept in mind here. They are relating to the sovereign God, whom they know to be alone, able to do the thing that they request to reveal this frankly impossible secret. They're, re they're interacting with a sovereign God. They're not in, in, they do not say this, that they are in despair. There is a concern but they're not in despair because all they need to do is come to God. And they say, look, if God will, wants to do this for us, then he can. But they are interacting with him on the basis of God's mercy. 
And we must remember that there are only two modes of interacting with God. We can either interact with him on the basis of his justice or on the basis of his mercy. Those are the only ways. And guilty sinners who have no basis on our own to stand before him, we must choose the latter in the basis of his mercy. Now, the interesting thing to me is that Daniel is one of the very few, I forget the number, but it's maybe two or three people in the whole Bible that we have of the major characters that we have no record of any sin whatsoever. No record of any sin whatsoever. Not a single point is he ever rebuked for anything. No flaw is ever noted in his character, in his life. And he comes looking for mercy from God. Now, how much more so us? We remember the, the prayer in Luke 18 that, that, that Christ, um, I think the Holy Spirit, has brought to our attention more than once recently. That the Pharisee in his pride and foolishness and the darkness of his mind comes, not, not knowing the reality of his own heart, not knowing his guilt and sin, comes and said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other men. Meanwhile, The tax collector, guilty as sin, comes and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And truly, this is the way that God's people must come to the Lord. Because he will never, he's not going to give us something in accordance with justice. Because even a man like Daniel, Lord, give me what I deserve. And the Lord will say, great. I, I, you, I will certainly not reveal the secret and you will die along with the rest of the astrologers because that's what you deserve. Even if you had nothing more than the sin of Adam on you, original sin, you would surely deserve that. But he was a sinner by choice like the rest of us. And he doesn't ask for justice. He asks for God's mercy. And so God's revelation, then we should be reminded, is also an aspect of his, re- of his mercy. We rightly think of the priestly work of Christ as being merciful. But so also is God's revealing to us his truth, which gives us life. This is an aspect of his mercy. Well, Daniel prays. That's the main thing as we consider this, that Daniel had prayed to the living God who alone could do these things. And our third point is that God reveals. In verse 19, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. It's no great drama We'd almost imagine it. As we go on in the book, we imagine, in fact, we expect such things to happen. God answered Daniel's prayers. And here is another one to put in our book. I truly hope that you individually or as families keep some book of all of your answered prayers because it is hugely important to keep those things in mind. Because we forget actually these things. Our, our minds are like seas and, and the, everything just flows through them and we completely forget what God has done with for us even last year. I was reminded that this is almost exactly, as we had a, a baptism this morning of the, uh, of the extended Hilton family and one year ago it was, it was Kate's baptism, wasn't it? And we're, we're forgetful already of God's mercy to us in these ways. And we should bring to mind all these things. Well, here's another thing to put in your book. That God answered Daniel and his three friends' prayers on that night in their desperation, crying out to God for for mercy and salvation. Here's another thing to put in our book, that God revealed that secret. And so we should come with expectant faith to the throne of grace. Daniel responds, you see, it's a simple little sentence. Uh, The secret was revealed to Daniel. Because, again, that was expected. 
God is that great. But the lengthy thing is Daniel's response. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times. Remember, he said, you guys want to change the times. No, no, no. God changes the times in this season. He removes kings and raises up kings. And Daniel's going to live to see precisely that, isn't he? He gives wisdom to the wise, as with his himself, and knowledge to those who have an understanding. He glorifies God in these things. So far from, from desiring to lift himself up, he particularly gives uh, not only, he does it both ways, by the way. We're going to see as he speaks to the king, he does it publicly when he's speaking to him, points out, goes to extra trouble to say, God is the one who's given me this wisdom. But even in his prayer, he says, God, you are the one who has given me this wisdom and understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, that you have given me wisdom and might, have made known what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. I don't really know much to add to it, except to say that you see the depth of Daniel's grasp of the full, complete sovereignty of God, all things, the fate of kings, as well as Daniel and his friends, all of these are perfectly in his almighty hands. And if only we could live, brothers and sisters, in that moment, in that knowledge, in that understanding that Daniel had at that time to see that all things are perfectly in his hand, not a single exception. In the whole span of the world and, and every aspect that there could possibly be, all things are in his almighty hands. And again, particularly then in that larger theme, there's the one we're looking at today. He reveals deep and secret things. That's the aspect of God's character that we can worship him in tonight. The aspect that Daniel was worshiping him. He reveals secrets. He knows what's in the darkness. You know, that's the character of our God. Light dwells with him, it says. Well, that sounds just like 1 John 1.5. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When we consider our God and we consider what he is in his holiness and perfection and mercy and grace and all the other things, we must think of him as the God of light because he is. He dwells in unapproachable light. He himself is light. There is no darkness in him. And we who live in such a dark world, I think we particularly need to keep that in mind. This whole world is covered with darkness and confusion, and Satan's lies, as we saw this morning, right? It's, this sermon is in some ways the antidote to what we saw, that, uh, that Satan, he rules over this world not by force, because those, that, the ability to do it by force has been taken from Satan. If he ever really had it, he no longer does. It's not by his, his power and might, but by his tongue, by his speech, by his lies, that he reigns over the people of this world. And he speaks the lies to them and covers the world in this darkness. It's almost palpable sometimes, some places. You walk and you see people, none of whom have the slightest light of the gospel in them whatsoever. And you say that Satan reigns in this place. Well, God is a God of light. And we worship him. And we know that he is able to make light before our path and even in this place. Well, God reveals... And fourthly, we consider the way the king worships. Daniel then relays these things to the king. Verse 26, the king answered. 
and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Now right there, I think, is another doctrine that is woven into this, and that's the one that we call the inability of man. Some part of, you know, that this is a reformed church, that we we preach the whole counsel of God, which includes the reformed uh, theology, the, which, and people wonder what that is. And, and really, if you could summarize it, it's the theology that most fully uh, exalts God and humbles man. That's the theology of, of Scripture itself. And the, the, the two things go together. There are two, there's like a single slider. They're not double sliders, which you can turn up and down uh, the glory of God and also of, of the humility of man. If you want to reduce the humility of man, you must also reduce the glory of God. It's just one slider. And false versions of Christianity and, and compromised versions of Christianity have that slider moved to the right to where it should be. And, and that slider, is, is, it, it enhances man, it lifts up man, it says that we can do a lot more. It says that we really do have a spark of hope and truth and ability within us that we can choose for ourselves. We can even do a little bit towards our salvation. And of course that reduces the sovereignty and glory of God. But what he says is that these guys could do nothing there is, they're totally unable to do the thing that is required. And that is our situation before God, brothers and sisters. We are totally unable to do the thing that is required of us by God. This thing that is our life and death, this thing that we, we must do to save our life, we can't do it. It's the inability of man to keep God's law or even to believe in his truth. Apart from God opening our eyes There is no way that any of us would ever come to saving faith. It is all in the hands of God. And if we are saved, if we ever come to heaven, ladies and gentlemen, it will be only because and exclusively because God has brought us there and there will not be a single one of us that can share in that glory at all. Well, these magicians, these soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. All glory to him. Well, he goes on to explain your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these, and, and maybe uh, we could consider on another time the perfection of this particular imagery that relates exactly what happened, by the way, these empires, the Babylonian Empire and the, the empires that would continue, for instance, the Roman Empire, this is precisely indeed what would happen. So it is not merely that the miracle that Daniel made these things known, but the miracle that these things actually happened in human history, and they're utterly irrefutable. We know that the, the unbelievers find this so amazing, in fact, that they must resort to all sorts of, 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 uh, of tricky ways to get out of this, and they start making up that Daniel was, was written long, 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 long after, actually, when these things uh, were made. But, of course, these things do not hold water. Um, God revealed these secrets of what was going to happen in the future. And what it says in verse 45, 
Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Well, just to summarize, by the way, what uh, is being revealed there, it is not merely of the human empires that were going to come and go, but of the one kingdom that was not going, it was going to come and it was not going to go. And that is, of course, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was revealed to that proud pagan king and his bed that evening was the reality that the Son of God, his kingdom was going to be built up and it was going to be built up into a way that was going to fill the whole earth. Remind of the promise that Christ says he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we have then this wonderful things that are brought to the king's mind. He recognizes the divinity and power of these things, doubly made certain because first God had revealed these things in a dream, which, and now Daniel has, been, has, has, has said these very things along with the interpretation. And what does he do? He worships. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that he should present an offering and incense to him. And sometimes what happens, you know, that uh, like in the book of Acts, as, as Paul speaks to them or does some miracle that they want to, they want to present an, an offering to him as if he himself is, is a god. Of course, we know that's not the case. Daniel's just an ordinary man, but he belongs rightly. And, and the king understands that. Thankfully, the king understands it. And he says, truly, your god is a god of gods and the king of the lord of kings. That's the thing. He doesn't, he's reminded that though he is the king of kings, he doesn't say the king of kings because that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He has to come up with a higher title than that. He is the Lord of kings, the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. He worships the God who lives forever and does all these things. Well, what can we say to the God who reveals secrets? The first thing I want us to say as we think about that first point of the sermon that this was an impossible secret and it was a matter of life and death and which they needed to do in order to save their lives, I want us to understand that the gospel is like that as well. The gospel is like that. There is a message by which we must know in order to save our lives. There are an, there's an answer before God a content in our heart and our, our mind that we must have to, 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 set, to have before God, to believe before God, or apart from that, we ourselves will be killed. And indeed, our houses, as it were, made in ash heap forever in hell. And, and the, 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 very simply, that message, of course, is the gospel. And the question is, let me ask you, if indeed somebody ever came before Christ came, before there was a gospel, and said to someone, you all are sinners before holy God. And yet this holy God who is never going to let any sin whatsoever slide is going to raise an innumerable company of you to heaven to be with him forever. Now, tell me how it's going to happen. Tell me how it's going to happen. And there's not an astrologer, a soothsayer, a magician, a Chaldean that has ever been that could answer such a question. In fact, we have the greatest proof of those things because all the religions of the world have tried to answer this very question and not a one of them have come near the right answer. 
the gospel, the content of the gospel, the plan of salvation was something entirely beyond the ken of man. There is no way that we could have acquired that knowledge. There is no way that we could have by our reason climbed to such great things. Angels themselves desire to look in these things. Those who have no sin, those who dwell in the presence of the living God, they had no idea how these things could be. They knew such things were promised and hinted at. But how could it be that this just God, this holy God, could ever bring sinners to be with him forever? To save them. Well, as I say, it is a matter of life and death. Apart from knowing the answer to that question, you'll surely die. It's of great urgency. It is impossible. And what do you know? Praise God that he has revealed these things to man. We would never know these things apart from from God, but he has revealed them. And this is, as I say then, Christ's prophetic office. I I mentioned, I I guess we should just consider this all one application, that the gospel is very much like this unknowable secret. But Christ has revealed these things to us. You know, John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And, And that's the fundamental problem, isn't it? No one has seen God. He is invisible and his secrets are unknowable. And were he to withhold this information, we'd never know them. And Christ, and among the other things that he came to do, because he did come as our prophet, priest, and king, as our mediator, I was saying to the theology students, in some sense, Christ only has one office. He is the mediator between God and men. He is the one who's come to be our redeemer. That is his one office. But within that, then there are these three interrelated offices of prophet, priest, and king. Why do we need these things? Because of our threefold misery. We have a threefold office of Christ. We have a threefold misery that that brings us to this this situation. Even the children's catechism, by the way, children. We have the children's catechism, right? And the question is, why do I need a prophet? Anybody know? Why do I need a prophet? Mouth the words. No. Because I'm ignorant. Because I'm ignorant. Man in his pride never likes to use that word. It's like it's an insult in this world of political correctness. It's the last insult you can use. This person is ignorant. You mean you don't like them normally, but you say they're ignorant. Well, we really are ignorant. And it's true. Our ignorance is is complete and total with everything that we would really need to know apart from Christ. And so because we are in our ignorance of the things that we truly need to know, Christ has to reveal. It's... This is his, his office as our prophet. And the larger catechism 43 says, How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executes the office of a prophet and is revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word and in diverse ways and administration the whole will of God and all things concerning their edification and salvation. The whole will of God. So wonderful, isn't it? We are ignorant But God in his mercy sends us a prophet and he speaks to us. He gives us the whole will of God for our salvation and our edification. And by the way, this just reminds me then of the great ingratitude then of some Christians that they want to to truncate the gospel and they want to convey the minimum that they can possibly get away with. It's unbelievable to me. The glory of God is precisely in the fullness of his truth. The fullness of that dream, you don't just give the main part of it. 
You want, to, you want to know it? You want to explain it to the king in its detail and explain how these things would be. And so it is with the true system of theology that God has given to us. It is saving. It is edifying, not just only in its main things, but all of its details. We want to know these things. They are salvific for us and they are healthy for us. They build us up in the knowledge of the truth. Well, I'd say also then that we ought to pray like Daniel. We're thankful to God that he has revealed these secrets that apart from them, it is our death. But with knowing them, it is our life. And we are ever thankful for the prophetic office of Christ. But I think we also have here a wonderful example that we ought to pray like Daniel prayed. Because Daniel really did believe, you see. I mean, it's it's one thing to check the, the block. It's one thing to take a multiple choice exam and say, yes, we believe that God is sovereign. But it's quite another to really, really believe that when the push comes to shove and we're in a situation that is a really tricky one, a really pressing and urgent one like Daniel was. So it's part of our weaknesses in human nature that we sometimes forget things that we ought to. We sometimes revert to type or, or go back to some old bad habits. But Daniel knew these things so deep in his heart that he prayed to this sovereign God. And it was a wonderful prayer. You know, throughout Scripture, uh, there's, by the way, Daniel's mentioned in, in Ezekiel, and uh, he's mentioned with two other men, and, and, and mentioned that uh, even if they were here, I still would not spare the land. They would only save themselves. And the point is, we get the, the impression throughout the book of Daniel and in other places that he was a man of prayer. And he prayed out of deep conviction of the knowledge of the sovereignty of God and of his goodness to man. And so we ought to do these things. Are we fully aware of our own inability? Are we aware that we are unable to understand a single thing of God's word? This is not just the fact that he revealed it in the first place. It's also that apart from God's ongoing ministry of illumination, the Holy Spirit illumining our hearts, we would not understand what's going on now. You know, I could be declaring to you the revealed secrets of God that he's given by inspiration of his Holy Spirit into this word, and apart from the Holy Spirit, you would not understand a single bit of it. Such is our darkness. And such is the glory of God. He he reserves that honor to answer our prayers for illumination to himself. And that's why, brothers and sisters, I'd say, don't ever take it for granted that you'll learn his truth. Don't ever take it for granted. If you've come thus far, don't think to yourself now, well, I just open this word or I just listen to a sermon and I'll benefit from it. No, you won't. You really won't. You must come in full dependence on God, truly believing two things. That you, in your own self, you're not able to understand a single word of divine truth. And that God, in his goodness and power, is able to enlighten your eyes that you might see these things. You must come in that dependence and that understanding of the sovereignty of God in the work of illumination. We ought to pray like Daniel. Every single time that we come, for instance, as we prepare, wouldn't it be wonderful if all God's people prepared on Saturday night like Daniel and his three friends did on the eve as as he needed to go face the music the next day. And he prayed earnestly and desperately that God would reveal his truth to him. Well, we should come in the same spirit and the same kind of prayers. And not only for ourselves, but for others. 
because we have every reason. We have living examples among us that remind us that God is in fact able to bring out of darkness into his marvelous light. Even those cases that we'd imagine they're hopeless. God is able to do these things. And so we pray that not only for ourselves, but for others. For instance, again, those who are here this morning, that God would open their eyes and bring them to saving faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we must confess to you that we ourselves are in darkness. And we live in this sin-cursed world, a fallen world that has been given over to Satan. And in times past, we ourselves not only listened to these lies, but we gave them our approval. We even forwarded them to others. We spoke them as if they were the gospel truth. And Lord, we in ourselves are no better today. Apart from your own work of regeneration, apart from your own work of enlightenment, we would be utterly in darkness. But Lord, we are thankful that you are a God of mercy, a God who reveals secrets. And you who have seen fit to reveal your gospel to such unworthy people, to give us a whole counsel of God written down in this complete canon of scripture, Lord, we also desperately need your help to understand it. Apart from which, we have no hope and we will not be, we will not be benefit from any amount of the means of grace whether watching, observing this baptism and thinking of our own baptism or this sermon or any other sermon will not benefit apart from you opening our eyes, granting us illumination. And so we pray, Lord, that we would pray with expectancy and in hope and, Lord, in great dependence and that not only would you enlighten our eyes that we might go further along the path of truth and of righteousness, but, Lord, that you might enlighten the eyes of these many hundreds and thousands of sinners around us headed on that conveyor belt to hell. Our Lord, we pray that there would be a day of light and illumination through your word and spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.